I want to welcome you today. We've already had two incredible services, and I'm so thankful that we get to share in this one with you guys. And I'm very, very thankful what God is, is about to do. You know, today, we come to celebrate we just, uh, an amazing event. It's an event that literally over a billion people around the world either have or are gathering together right now to celebrate. It's an event that's rooted in time and history, and yet it is timeless in its impact. And just like a pebble that's tossed or a stone that's tossed into the water, the ripple effect continues to expand outward, literally affecting all that it touches. And like an event in time, it always relates back to all that came before it and all that will follow after it. You see, for thousands of years, prophecies uh, were revealing that God had a bigger picture. He had a, a different plan for, the human, uh, for humankind, for history. And so when that right moment in time happened, God's plan was set into motion. And God's Son, our Messiah, entered as the fulfillment of more than 300 prophecies. He would be one of one whose authority bowed to no one except his heavenly Father. And to all those who chose to hear his voice, they were touched and they were transformed by his amazing words and his awesome power. He preached of a new kingdom, not a new political kingdom, but one that the very reign of God would have over the powers of evil. And even though those closest to him had trouble comprehending this new kingdom, kingdom he continued to give them signs and through words he began to paint this picture of what this new kingdom was really all about and those who met him they were filled with hope but just when things seemed to be at their peak that's when things changed and suddenly a triumphant entry into Jerusalem began to be overshadowed by the talk of, of suffering and the talk of betrayal. And then an arrest took place. And then this mock trial. And then they took Jesus and they crucified him. And so his followers and his disciples, they went from hearing people shout, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to hearing people shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! And when that stone was rolled into place, sealing Jesus' body, it also sealed their hopes for forgiveness, for the future, and for this new kingdom. And in their minds, all hope was lost. Maybe that's one of the reasons that Peter denied even knowing who Jesus was. Maybe that was one of the reasons why the disciples scattered and hid, I don't know. I think maybe in their minds they had to be thinking, what in the world just happened here? I mean, did we miss something that we didn't see? I don't think this is what we signed up for. Max Lucado wrote, they cowered in Jerusalem's cupboards and corners for fear of the cross that bore their name. But in contrast to them, as we think about the religious and political leaders, for the most part, man, they were feeling pretty good about themselves. 
They were feeling pretty good about the situation. On the one hand, Jesus was dead. Now there would be no more public rebukes and no more teaching about loving your enemies. No more awkward, mo awkward moments or interruptions within the temple. And even though you could describe them as relieved and joyful, on the other hand, they were very anxious and they were very nervous. You see, they remembered that Jesus had said that even though you will kill me in three days, man, I'm going to rise again. Now, they didn't know necessarily what that meant or how that was going to happen, but they weren't going to take any chances. So they had this huge stone put in front of the tomb and sealed. And they had soldiers placed there to guard the tomb because they weren't going to take a chance of something happening to the body of Jesus. Now, before we get to the main part of our message today, I want to hit the pause button for just a moment. And I want to give you an observation. And this is what hit me as I was studying and going through this. Here's my first observation is this. There are times when those on the outside are more aware and in tune with who Jesus is than the ones who follow him. I want you to let that sink in for just a moment. There are times when those on the outside are more aware and in tune with who Jesus is than the ones who follow him. And here's why I say that, because I find it really interesting that the religious leaders seem to, to, to be more aware of Jesus' predictions about conquering death than his followers were. I mean, it didn't even seem to be on the radar screen of the disciples. And yet it was for the religious leaders. And here's the thing. It's really not a lot different today, is it? I mean, sometimes those that are outside of the kingdom, sometimes they find themselves searching for something that they don't have. And without realizing it, all of a sudden, Jesus starts to be on their radar screen. Whereas those of us who follow Jesus, sometimes our radar screens are filled with everything but Jesus. And then we wonder why we struggle. And then we wonder why we, we can't sense his presence in our lives. You see, sometimes, like the disciples, when the first sign of trouble hits, when the first sign of trouble just kind of pops up, we have a meltdown. And we scatter, we hide, and worst of all, we start complaining that God's not doing his part. And so with that as a background, I want to approach our story from just a little different perspective this morning. And as we go through this, I want to give you a few more observations. Now, as we saw last week, it's, I think it's always amazing and it's also very humbling to look at the passion of Christ. I mean, to, to, to look and to understand and to see what Christ went through on our behalf when he was crucified on a cross for you and I. But here's the thing. The disciples didn't have the privilege of seeing that from our perspective. I mean, we see it as we look back. And we read it, and we understand it. Unfortunately, the disciples, they were living in the middle of it. They were right there. And so what they saw 
was that all of a sudden in the last week of Jesus' life, man, he went from what's hot to what's not. He went from being praised to being crucified on a cross. And now his dead body is laying in a tomb guarded by soldiers. And so in their minds, everything they, they had believed and hoped in was gone. And they had to be wondering if they had given their lives for a lie. And here's the thing. If Jesus' story had ended on the cross, then guess what? That would have been true. If Jesus' story had ended on the cross, then they would have given their lives for a lie. That's why this second observation is so important for us to understand. And it's simply this. Jesus' death on the cross is not a standalone event. Jesus' death on the cross is not a standalone event. Yes, it happened, and it carries a lot of meaning for us, but there's something else that gives the cross its significance and its meaning. And that's what we've come to celebrate today. It's the resurrection. The resurrection is what gives the cross its significance. I mean, they go together. They're a package deal. Like the old commercial used to say, you can't have one without the other. You see, the cross only finds its meaning and significance in light of the resurrection. And there would be no need for a resurrection without the cross. You see, without the resurrection, all of Jesus' suffering and even his death would have been in vain. Put another way, without the resurrection, Jesus would have been just an ordinary man, vulnerable to death, instead of triumphant over death. Without the resurrection, there would be no chance of having our broken relationship with God restored. Without the resurrection, you and I would have no hope of ever having eternal life and complete forgiveness. Now, one of the main passages of the scriptures in the New Testament that develops the theology of the resurrection is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there maybe there, hopefully there's one in front of you under one of the seats, or you'll be able to follow along on the screen. Now, in this chapter, Paul deals with some problems that had developed within the church in Corinth. You see, even though they had been taught the importance of the resurrection, they be, began to struggle with the reality of it. For some reason, they had started to deny the historical reality of Jesus' bodily resurrection. So for them, it just became a nice narrative, but that really was all it was. Now, here's why I think that happened. I think they may have had trouble picturing in their minds people who were dead and buried all of a sudden coming back to life again. I mean, think about it. In our culture today, when we think about that, what's the first thing we think of? Zombies. I mean, that's what we think of. That's why there's zombie movies out there. There's a, you know, zombie shows on TV, The Walking Dead or whatever. And, and let me tell you, zombies are, are never portrayed in any sort of positive, redeeming light. They tend to be evil, flesh-eating monsters. I mean, that's what they are. So I, I can imagine that the Corinthians had similar feelings about dead bodies coming back to life as well. And so they wanted to relegate the resurrection to just a spiritual reality rather than a physical reality. 
And Paul basically says, wow, you can't do that, guys. Time out here. We need to stop and think this through. I need to set you straight right now. And the reason was this. Because Paul wanted them to know that this line of thinking had the potential to destroy the very essence of their faith. So let's hit the pause button one more time. Let me give you another observation. We cannot steer away from the scripture's teaching on the resurrection or we will run the risk of misunderstanding one of the most important doctrines of the Christian faith. And in doing so, we run the risk of destroying our hope for the life to come. We can't steer away from it. It's there. We've got to believe it and take it for what the Bible says. Because if we don't, we are literally destroying our hope for life to come. And so Paul has to explain it in terms that are very crystal clear. And so starting in verse 12, this is what he says in verses 12 and 13. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. He's going, look guys, you can't have it both ways. If Christ didn't rise from the dead like you wanting to think, <laughs> then there will be no body resurrection. So there's no hope. And if there's no hope, then Christ didn't raise from the dead. Look what he says. Because he says, with this line of thinking, there are six major issues that's caused by it. Starting in verse 14, look what he writes. See if you can pick these out as we go through this. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless, and we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Did you catch the six things? The six issues that come up with this kind of thinking? Look what he says. He says our preaching is useless. Our faith is useless. He says we are liars concerning God. He says, we are still guilty of our sin. He says, those who have already died in Christ are simply dead without hope of eternal life. You would have no hope. And he says, we are to be pitied above all the people. Now, let me go back to one of those, and that's the one where he says, we are still guilty of our sin. Now, what did he mean by that? Because after all, didn't the cross take care of our sins? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. Yes, because that was part of the purpose of the cross. And no, because without the resurrection, Jesus didn't overcome sin. If Jesus just died the death of an ordinary man, then you and I serve a dead Savior who was unable to defeat sin and death. If this is the case, we have to say like Paul that we are truly to be pitied above all people. But here's the good news. The good news is that's not the case. The good news, we serve a living Savior. Why? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. 
That's why we're here today is to celebrate the resurrection. You and I serve a living Savior. Let's hit the pause button one more time. Let me give you another observation. The cross wasn't the end. It couldn't be the end if we were to have forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. The cross was the prelude to the end. You see, the resurrection of Jesus proves that Jesus was no ordinary man. The resurrection proves that he was the very son of God. The resurrection proves that the work of the cross to bring about forgiveness was placed in the hands of the only one who could bring about its fulfillment, and that was Jesus. It proves that death is not the ultimate end of Jesus or any other person who places their trust in him. Guess what? It is only the beginning. It proves that we are not liars who need to be pitied by men, but instead it shows that we are firm in our resolve to follow and to seek after the one who claimed he was the resurrection and the life and who rose again to prove that he was. That's who Jesus is. That's why Paul could go on to say these words in verses 20 and 22. Look what he says. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Wow. You and I have life because Jesus arose from the dead. The resurrection is what gives empowerment to the cross and gives us forgiveness and eternal life. And that's why Paul and the other apostles could risk everything proclaiming the truth. I mean, think about it. These guys risked everything to proclaim the message of the resurrection. Paul put it this way, starting in verse 30. Look what he says. And why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah, Jesus? Do you think I was just trying to act heroic when I fought the wild beasts at Ephesus, hoping it wouldn't be the end of me? Not on your life. Look at this. It's resurrection. Resurrection. Always resurrection. That undergirds what I do and say the way I live. The reason they could proclaim the message is because it was truth. Let me ask you this. If you knew that the message you were given and that you were proclaiming, if you knew that message was a complete lie, when threatened with death, wouldn't you call a timeout? I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you call a timeout, and wouldn't you just admit that it was a lie rather than face death? I mean, think about it. I know I would. I mean, if I was about to be beheaded or about to be burned or about to be shot, and I knew the message I was proclaiming was a lie, you bet before that happened, I'm going to say you're right, it's a lie. But I want you to know that not one of these guys ever called a timeout. 
You see, they heard his teaching, they saw his miracles, and after his resurrection, they spoke with him, they ate with him, they saw the scars, they touched the wounds, and they believed, and it changed them forever. It changed them forever. Josephus, one of the most respected first century historians, shares that nearly every apostle died a brutal death. Some by sword, some by spear, some by stoning. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down and James was beheaded for his faith. Do you think that would happen because they wanted to, pro to continue proclaiming a lie? It happened because they were proclaiming the truth. And they could express their faith because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the resurrection of Jesus that gave them the faith and the strength and the power to face whatever came their way. And let me tell you, it will be the resurrection that does the same for you and me in our life. Now, those of you that have been with us more than just a couple weeks, you know, you know me and you know that there are times when I just have these thoughts. And it happens usually when I'm studying, and, uh, you, and on the weekend, especially Friday night and Saturday, when I'm really trying to get everything together and, and finalizing a lot of things in my head and my mind, there are times when things just hit me. And it was no different than last night. Last night, um, I just got out of the shower, and, and um, I was getting ready to go to bed, and I was on the floor uh, doing my stretches for my back, because since my back surgery, I have to stretch it out at least two or three times a day. And so uh, I, I'm on the floor stretching. And as I'm stretching, I'm going through my message. And I was going through this part of my message. And this is what God spoke to me. This is what I kind of hit me at that moment as I'm stretching my back and I'm in pain. This is what hit me. Think of Peter for a moment. Peter denied knowing Jesus. The other disciples they fled, they scattered, they hid. Now I want you to know that they had just spent three years with Jesus, hadn't they? They'd spent three years. They had followed him. They were called followers. They were called disciples. They had spent all this time with him, and they knew him here. But I'm not sure they really knew him here yet. Let's fast forward 50 days. Because 50 days later, we find Peter standing before most of the same crowd that 50 days earlier had cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And the same Peter that during that time denied ever knowing Jesus, now is the same guy who's standing before this same crowd and he's preaching to them, this message, you killed the very Messiah. You killed the very Son of God, and God raised him from the dead. Now let me ask you, what made the difference? What changed a coward and someone that would deny even knowing Jesus, someone who had spent three years with him, what changed him? Well, I can tell you what changed him and what changed the other disciples. It was an encounter with the resurrected Christ. That's the difference. And that's the difference in your life and mine. 
my life will never be what God intends it to be until I have an encounter with a resurrected Christ. Because I can go through my Christian life and I can know him. I can go to church, man, I can teach, I can, I can do whatever. You know, you might sing, you might play, you might change diapers in the nursery, I don't know. You can do a lot of good things and you can know Jesus and you can even follow Jesus, but it's not going to make an impact and change your life until you know him here. And that only happens when you come in contact with the resurrected Christ. And you allow him to transform you into his image, transform you into what he wants you to be, because that's when things are going to change. Because if you only know him here, and you're faced, and you're faced with death, you'll probably deny even knowing him. But when you know him here, and you know the reality and the truth of the resurrection, you will stand in your faith, and you will say, Satan, it doesn't matter what you throw my way, because I know whose I am, and I know who died for me, and I'm his, and he is mine, and there's nothing you can do that will take that away from me. That only comes from knowing the resurrected Christ. That's free of charge. <laughs> Let's reflect for a moment. When the sun rose that sunny morning, the dawn revealed the awesome power of God beyond anything that these guys could ever imagine. Now they could, now they could fully understand the impact of the cross. God's son had lost to the opposition. The opposition was defeated by the son. The opposition became an opportunity for God to do what only God can do. What seemed at first to be a very unfair tragedy became the greatest triumph in the history of mankind. Jesus' unselfish sacrifice had released the ultimate power of God that gave all those who accept his amazing grace and his amazing love. It gave us victory over sin and over death. We have the opportunity for forgiveness. We have the opportunity for, for eternal life because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Where are you at today in your life? Where are you at? April's going to come and she's going to play in the background and as we reflect this morning, I just want to know where you're at. I mean, have you allowed the resurrected Christ to change who you are and to bring life into you? Last night at around 5.30, Adam and Kelly were up here with me, and we got to share with this awesome family right here and the friends of theirs as John got to baptize his son Cooper and his daughter Baylor in the Christ. I tell you, it's not greatest. There's not a greater feeling for a dad than to be able to baptize his kids into Jesus. First service, one of our teens, Vince, was baptized by Adam because he came to profess his faith and turn his life over to Christ, and he was baptized in the Christ. 
following what the scriptures teach. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what this Easter might mean for you. But this is my prayer. Don't don't let this just be another Easter where you come together, you celebrate, and you leave, and you're going, yeah, we did our Easter thing. My prayer is that this will be a life-changing Easter for you. Maybe you need to accept Christ into your life. Maybe that's what you need, and you just need to do that. Maybe you just need to get some things right. Maybe you know him here, but you've never really got to know him here. Maybe that's what you need. So whatever it is, we're going to reflect, and if you'll just come for a moment of reflection and just come sit down front. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We want to share in that with you. Let's reflect.